What's up, Eric? Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, man? Good, good. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, just uh, hanging out. It's um, yeah. I just I recorded a three plus hour one last night, so I'm kind of like in the zone right now. It feels good. Oh wow. Who'd you uh, who'd you record with? If you don't if you don't mind sharing. Oh yeah, uh, Ed Berg, who does okay. Sudcast. Okay. It was really fascinating. It was great. Uh, That's cool. I, I love that dude. He's so cool. But yeah, man, I'm excited to do this because I've loved your project for a while, and you've interviewed so many different kinds of people. Like when I first like found out about Cam Terra, it's like, it's kind of crazy because it's like, wow, here's this guy who's kind of just like openly exploring the fringes of society and culture and, you know, subject to subject relations, but he also used to live in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and um, I know, um, like I said in, the, in our um, uh, DMs, the origins are officially shrouded in mystery but yeah I've, I've been with uh uh counter i call it counter but um totally okay to no um but i call it counter and and but you know countier is also good um but just like colloquially we, we kind of just casually refer to it as, as counter but i've been with the project uh, since the beginning and kind of had had like a really deep insight into like um you know kind of like what how we started what we've done so far and where we're going um this will come out i assume probably in like um, not in the next few days, right? Right. Okay, cool. Yeah, because there's some really exciting stuff coming out next week um, that I can talk a little bit about, um, and then I think we'll be out uh, by the time uh, people hear this. So, awesome. Yeah, uh, you know, the, it's it's kind of interesting because my grandfather was like a fringe explore type of person in Cleveland. And there's a there's kind of like a quirkiness to that place. You know, he opened the first mod clothing store okay. in America. He like brought Whoa. like the Yardbirds out and he founded like Halle Berry's career because he sponsored her in a beauty pageant. Oh, he was like yeah. She was in Cleveland, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's like he's in the Cleveland Hall of Fame weirdly. Whoa. But okay. yeah, he was like a freedom writer and like good friends with Don King and like, I mean, the Italian mob, Black Panthers. He was a wild fucking guy. He'd been like stabbed and shot like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll keep a lookout for that name if I ever visit the Cleveland Hall of Fame. Yeah, if you uh, look up Man Talk International, that was the name of his clothing store. Okay. Um, he was like in retail. Yeah. Coincidentally, um, my family actually comes from Youngstown, Ohio, or my dad's side of the family. I'm a, I'm a mixed, mixed, uh, mixed race person, but, um, my, uh, they, they grew up in, uh, well, my dad grew up in Youngstown and we had a kind of a whole established history in Youngstown and my grandfather had a clothing store in Youngstown too. So that's wild. And then, and then, and then now we're doing, their descendants are doing podcasts and magazines and all that. So. Yeah, it's interesting, man. It, like, so what? What was your experience like growing up in Cleveland? Because I left at a at a pretty young age. Yeah, I mean, um, I think there was like a connection um, between. It's funny. It's like it's like a lot of people. I think eventually noticed that 
a lot of people come from Ohio. Um, I think it's like most of the early astronauts came from Ohio. Um, but that's something that you kind of hear people say. I don't know if that's just like a bias, you know, um, I don't know what the word for it, but it's like, people are like, Oh, like everyone's from Ohio or why are all these, you know, uh, celebrities or artists or writers or whatever from Ohio. Um, uh, I think it's, I mean, I, I grew up in, um, a suburb of Cleveland, a small town, um, on the uh, East side. And, um, I don't know. I, I forget who said it. I don't know if it was like, um, I forget who said it, but it was someone saying something that like, you know, a lot of um, people who come out of small towns can sometimes either just like not ever leave or they could like dream really big and kind of develop this sort of like protagonist syndrome or hero syndrome because you're kind of like a big fish in a small pond. Like right. you can kind of excel and be number one in, in a lot of different things. Um, I don't know. It's like the um, I mean, I didn't grow up in the country or anything like that, um, but I did grow up definitely um, around nature and stuff like that. And I've been watching Lord of the Rings with my girlfriend and uh, kind of like looking into Tolkien. He talks about like the connection between like rustic life and heroism and all that stuff. And I know it sounds kind of like super intense, but I do think there's like a, a really positive thing to growing up um, sometimes like not in a city, um, not in not in the middle of nowhere necessarily, but in a place where you're surrounded by like forests and trees and nature and you can see the stars at night. And, but then still having a connection to like, oh, you can go to the Cleveland and go to these like awesome art museums. And, um, you know, we got three sports teams and all that stuff. So, yeah, no, totally. That, that that's a really good point when you talk about like the protagonist syndrome, uh, you know, Cleveland's like a little clicky too. That was like always sort of, uh, what that was kind of like how my grandparents and my dad would kind of explain it to me. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's. It's, it's funny that you say that it's like it, you know, yeah, the three sports teams, like I used to go to Cavs games and Indians games. And one time my grandpa, we were, we were going to see, he was friends with Kenny Lofton at the time. We were like going, we were going to an Indians game and he was a wild guy. He like drove a DeLorean, but the car windows wouldn't work fold up. So you had to like climb out of the window and there was really bad traffic. So he got drove off the on-ramp and was like driving on the opposite side of the freeway, like on the grass (laughs) in a fucking broken DeLorean. And he just goes, I'm like freaking out. I'm like a little kid. He's like, we cool. We cool. He puts on like eighties miles Davis on the tape. And then the cop pulls him over as his black cop. And he's like, what do you what the fuck are you doing? And then he goes, Wait, man, you Chuck Avner, man. Oh man, I used to shop at your store all the time, brother. Uh, like, and because my grandpa's yeah, yeah. like, uh, you know, like speaks jive and all this other stuff, and they start dapping yeah, yeah. each other up, just like lets him off. It's it was a uh, wow, it was pretty funny. <laughs> your grandpa sounds like quite the legend. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah, so Cleveland, Ohio, but but not not to speak too much about me. Uh, what? Uh, so, how has that place like informed what you do? Because you have a, I mean, you've written for Rolling Stone and Vice from yeah, a young yeah. age, and you campaign with John McAfee for present. You interviewed him like one of the last yeah. interviews ever before he was uh, redacted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you say like, how does like, kind of like how living here has been and all that? Yeah, yeah, because you still live there. 
Yeah. So I, um, you know, and that's one of the things I love about Cleveland. It's in between Chicago and New York. So growing up, like I still always loved Cleveland. Um, and it kind of gave me an appreciation, I think, for like the sort of cooler, like more like interesting kind of like, like realizing there were a lot of interesting stories, like even in a place like Cleveland, I think a lot of people around me grew up like thinking, I want to get out of this place. Um, just cause like the stuff that me and my friends used to do and growing up in Cleveland, um, I was always interested in like the city itself, what's going on in the country and stuff like that. I did end up going to uh, school in New York city. Um, so I lived in Harlem, um, like one sixteenth in Lenox for, from like 18 to 23 um, I bounced around a little bit. I lived in um, LA briefly during that time. I worked for uh, uh, early rap genius. They had a house called the rap genius mansion in Bel Air. So I took a semester off and lived in there um, back in like very, very early rap genius, Brooklyn kind of uh, era. And then um, I lived in DC and stuff like that. But yeah, since college, basically more or less, um, you know, I lived in Brooklyn during the 2020 for like a few months um, during the pandemic um, house sitting for somebody but yeah, overall, I've, I've been in Cleveland and I'm still here. Um, I might move again one day, um, but I mean, my kind of dream would be to like, you know, probably stay in Northeast Ohio eventually, maybe not right now, you know, in the five years I might, you know, be somewhere else, but ultimately I would love to like raise a family here and be close to my parents and, and be in a place where I, I feel like I really have roots. But um, Cleveland's real cool. It is clicked up and the city kind of had like old money issues and stuff like that. Um, I think with me, just in general, the way I operate, I'm just kind of more introverted, kind of do my own thing. Like I have friends who are very much in the mix. Um, but for me, it's like, you know, you could put me anywhere and just give me a computer um, and I would just do my thing. Um, in Cleveland, really, like, um, you know, I'll, I'll just basically go to my uh, boxing gym, um, which is a super awesome, like hundred year old boxing gym in Cleveland, super hardcore. Like, no, it's like, like out of Rocky. It's like uh, second floor of like a warehouse building. All the guys there. It's called the Old Angle Boxing Gym. Oh, okay. Yeah, my dad and my uncle were boxers, so I oh, think really? okay. they probably went there. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. I've learned a lot about like boxing history, like dudes like Gary Lozada, um, Rick, who runs it now, is super legendary dude. He's um he used to be a cop. Um, but um, yeah. I mean, so I really just go there, um, hang out with like my friends occasionally, but I just like pretty much stick to myself. But I, you know, I like the food scene in Cleveland, and yeah, so. Counter has done some pretty like amazing interviews. I mean, you did a whole thing on the Red Alert crew, which is an Aboriginal gang from oh, yeah. Canada. Yeah. That yeah. that's pretty interesting. So you're talking about like it's this guy Stan. Um, yeah. yeah, and he was he's six three, three hundred pounds. People don't realize because like that like actually like natives are there's there's some pretty big people <laughs> yeah yeah that is true like um yeah i mean we did um we did that um i actually helped edit, edit that one but that was a cool scoop for sure um we also did one of have you ever heard of the heartless felons no so there, I, I actually personally did this one, uh, but they're the biggest prison gang in Ohio and one of the biggest, like they're the biggest prison gang in Ohio. I think the biggest prison gang in the Midwest. And I think top two or three fastest growing gangs in the country, but counter actually let me through me did the first ever interview with a senior member of the heartless felons. Like if you Google it, you'll see like low ranking members and stuff like that. have occasionally talked to media. Um, but this dude was a godfather, like Brantings in, in one of the prisons in Ohio. And he had just gotten out. He was 29. 
So I, um, you know, I have, I got my journalistic connects and plugs and I have my sources and stuff like that. And, and, and so we actually went to his house and, um, like smoked once with him for like three hours and just talked and he told me like everything. I was like shocked at everything he told me. Um, but yeah, that was, um, just talking about like gang initiation rights and, you know, all the terrible things he had to do in prison and, and all, and just like, you know, titles for like different heartless felons and stuff like that. Um, he was real careful. We use like anonymity and I think he maybe had like a little bit of thing about the gang. Like maybe he didn't feel as like rewarded after he got out of prison. So that's why he kind of went on the record. Um, but yeah, we, we've done some, um, some gang, some gang interviews and stuff like that. All, all of course, you know, counter is different categories. There's like, uh, culture fringe, white right. pill, you know, these were filed under degeneracy, sex, drugs, and violence. But yeah, those were, those are definitely interesting ones. It, that's one of the things I love about counter is that it's not like NPC sort of like rank and file based red pilled, uh, having some like sort of like overt political agenda, you, you know, yeah. like you, you guys touch on a lot of different things and, and I really appreciate that. Um, just because it's like, yeah, the different categories you have like culture fringe white pill, and you know, it's like you you had you had an article on like how to cook crack rock. Or <laughs> yeah, like early that. days. Yeah, 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 yeah. that was like crack. early. Yeah. Um, and you know, you were like interviewing Tao Lin, but you're also interviewing Alexander Dugan. Like yeah. one, one of the things I noticed is like it, it it's really really difficult, and it's getting more difficult to sort of take an open ended approach to things as I think. Uh, the based red pilled label gets more codified and therefore yeah, like, less yeah. critically aware of its own issues. How do you stay sort of not neutral, but just like open to different things? Cause that's like one of the, that's one of the things that I, I sort of like struggle with at least now that we're in this, like we're in a pretty weird spot culturally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I'm reading this book. It's funny. It's like out of print and like copies of it go for like thousands of dollars. It's called uh, Mimetic Magic. It was like printed in 2003. It's sort of like this theory of the, a lot of things that would come true with the internet. Um, and it's like, it's, um, I mean, if anyone, and I don't know if you are into this, but like card magic, um, like I used to kind of really be into like magic and I mean, magi you know, magi I was like a card carry member of the magicians association of America or whatever. Oh, wow. Um, but there was a sort of foundational text called expert at the card table written by this dude, SW Ernays, who like never revealed his identity and basically spilled all, all these like really amazing secrets. Um, so this is like the expert at the card table, SW Ernays for like me magic and like what the internet would actually become. But I've been reading this book um, and one of the things he talks about in like sort of the information war that we're always going through, the ideosphere, you know, terms like the root social matrix is um, just how important like isolation is. Um, and I definitely have seen the sort of like, you know, I've been told and, and you can kind of see now, I guess sometimes like the cool thing is now to kind of like to be a reactionary, all that stuff. Um, and I think with some things, I just like tune them out or try to like work in isolation, but not too isolated that. I like have no idea what's going on at all. Mm. Um, and then also kind of just like following my own intuition and compass, like some of the stuff I've been working on recently, which I think will definitely be out by the time this airs is um, I just finished up uh, editing and collaborating with somebody on a piece about uh, Lake Megachad in Africa and like the greening of the Sahara, and, like all these like ancient mysteries that lie there. And I'm also doing one right now on um, homicidal recovery and how basically 
I've like interviewing, I've been interviewing these like mass shooters, almost mass shooters, like people who were planning attacks and then turned back and now wow. like are trying, yeah, it's a crazy scoop and, and, and no one else has written about it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been talking to a guy who like straight up had a plan for his university to like just blow it up and, and all the details and stuff like that. Um, so I think it's kind of just like, you know, and, and that kind of came out of just me just being interested in mass shooters, mass killers, not them personally. Um, you know, I don't even, we actually put in the house style guide that we're not even going to use their names. We're just going to say like, you know, the Parkland shooter and stuff like that. But yeah, just like, just like my own interest, um, in like, you know, uh, how do you actually stop a mass shooting? And I know the left, you know, talks about gun control and the right talks about mental illness and, you know, armed school security. Um, but what if there's like a different way, a third way? Um, right. What if like actually studying people who've had homicidal ideation had turned back and then now we're trying to help others and they have like these very small support groups online, um, you know, could be an interesting thing, recognizing how many people, young people nowadays do have homicidal ideation. So, yeah, I think it's like isolation, intuition, but then also, you know, still kind of staying in touch and um, with what's happening, but not to the point where I start to kind of feel like demoralized or defeated. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think um, as these kind of like internet projects and and I think Counter sort of started around the same time I started working. Uh, one yeah. of the reasons I I think leaving maybe like an not just necessarily like an institutional space, but sort of like a more stagnant, codified cultural sphere and just like being a place like Ohio is yeah, isolation really helps. It gives you kind of like sort of like a different perspective on things because you're not necessarily in the thing, you know, you're mm -hmm. just sort of looking at it. Right. You know, it's, uh, you know, that that's kind of similar to the way a lot of like, you know, early romantic writers would, you know, like it's, it, it sort of freed their imagination. So they sort of lived in this like small world of books and 